It's Shirley at the cleaners. You know that brown jacket? The one I said looks so great on you? Your favorite? We lost it. Welcome to 200 Today, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Poletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we are coming to you with for real, no fooling, we're, we're sure this time. Yes. The last episode of season two, episode seven, The Real Easy Red Dog. Uh, our last episode of season two. Yes. This is smack dab in the first third of season two. <laughs> <laughs> episode seven, in fact. Yeah. Um, yes. If uh, this happens to be your first episode that you're catching, we have, we, we, we skip around um, episodes uh, throughout the series, but over the last couple of months, we realized we were very close to being done with season two with our coverage. So we then started skipping around with the last episodes that we had not yet done in season two. And so now here is our last episode covering that season, which clearly uh, is not the last episode of the season. That was a bad deal in the Valley, which we did uh, sometime last year. Uh, so yeah, we're here. Yeah. So, I mean, normally this is where we would talk a little bit about why this episode was chosen, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it was chosen for us. <laughs> yeah, and this is a, uh, a fairly fairly straightforward on the production side. Um, this episode is directed by Ivan Dixon, uh, who we have talked about before. This is the fourth of his nine Rockford Files directorial efforts and i believe the last one we did was our episode 58 the battle axe and the exploding cigar mm. uh, i did not do the research to double check but i'm pretty sure we talked about him more in that episode or maybe one of the ones before that uh but he in addition to being a director he was an actor and he was a, a, a fairly pioneering black actor and director of the 60s and 70s and and 80s, I'm sure. Uh, I don't have his credits up right this second. Um, in addition to his creative work, he was also an organizer and supporter of um, of black people in entertainment, kind of at large. So he's a pretty significant figure in uh, in the TV and movie industry. Uh, now that I've clicked on his IMDb and I see the picture that they have of him up there, I, I'm all, I'm certain we've talked mm -hmm. talked about him before. Yeah, he was in the movie. Oh, he was on Broadway and in the movie of A Raisin in the Sun. Um, mm -hmm. And I think also Porgy and Bess. I'm not, I don't remember exactly. Uh, he had a, a role on Hogan's Heroes that um, yeah. I guess people people would recognize him from. Um, those are kind of the big, the big ones, I think. Uh, but yeah, good, good stuff. Good stuff from Ivan Dixon. Um, and then this episode is written by Stephen Cannell. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I feel like it's been a minute since we've done a full... It's a full Cannell episode, and uh, suspiciously devoid of um, uh, the mafia. Mm, true, but there is a... This is... I think we'll, we'll talk about it towards the end, because there is kind of an interesting reveal. But this episode essentially has three... It kind of has, like, three big gears, and, and the angle that we get into the story, as written, is one of them. But then there's two other giant stories mm -hmm. <laughs> that relate with this one that could just be the episode that we just barely see. And I'm kind of like, I wonder if this came from like trying one of those stories and it not really gelling. So it became the background to this instead. Something like that. Oh, yeah. I could definitely see that. Like, 
yeah, the main plot in this needs uh, needs another background plot, right? Like it, it mm. doesn't work without that happening. Uh, and the you know sometimes I think you you your instincts are probably right because it just sometimes when you have a main plot that needs this other plot that's going on in the background, you don't do much for that other plot. You just have it go. And I feel like this actually had something to it. So it would make sense that they uh, were trying to build it out as something else. Uh, this was definitely an episode where I, you know, my memory's not the best. So I wasn't remembering. It wasn't like one of these ones where I was like, oh, this has this scene. Oh, this has this scene. I was like, mm-hmm. so it felt fresh and new to me as I yeah. was watching it. I There was one specific moment where I kind of was like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. But other mm-hmm. than that, I basically did not remember this this one like at all. And, and my notes are like my journey through the mystery. Yeah, which yeah, is. Yeah kind of rare for the Rockford Files for me because I, I don't never but like I'm, my notes are full of question marks and, and like wait a minute what's this and so uh, I think it'll be kind of fun if we well I'm going to bring up when, whenever I you know had this moment of like yeah. wait a minute mm-hmm. uh, you watch a show and something out of place happens and your brain does this moment where it's like well that was weird I don't know why they did that right like you, you step back out of the fiction of the show and think, I don't know why the creators of the show made that choice. Right. And then you step back in. And each time mine did that in this was actually a moment when I should be paying attention because it's not, it was a weird moment. It was a thing that like got Jim's attention. Uh, it's stuck in Jim's head. And so like I was picking up on the clues that Jim was picking up on. Yeah. But I wasn't because I was dismissing it as like a weird, uh, weird choice, weird directorial choice, weird writing choice, weird. And I was like, oh, no, that's not what's happening at all. This character is acting weird. I feel like we, we've we've had a couple episodes recently where we've taken them to task either for giving us stuff that we think is going to be clues and then it's not. Mm-hmm. Or like well, mo- mostly that. I'm not sure what the yeah, other yeah, thing yeah, I was yeah. going to say is yeah. um, this episode is the kind of episode that we are thinking of. When we make that critique of other episodes, because I agree every single time I was like, I wonder what's up with that. It was a thing. It was. And this one actually has it it is very I was using the imagery of gears earlier, I think, because this one is very, very finely tuned in that kind of clockwork quality where pretty much every single thing gets paid off. Um, Pretty sure there's nothing extraneous in this. Um, Maybe we'll find something as we go through it. It, it it seems to me before we get into it um, that either I would notice something and then later be like, oh, okay, that's why that happened. Or something would happen and I'll be like, oh, that's why the thing earlier happened, right? Yes. Like yeah. everything was had that kind of TikTok to it where there was always a setup and then a spike. And I think the craft of the episode was in keeping the momentum going between always seeing spe- setups and then you know like it wasn't every single thing i'm like all right i'm waiting for that to pay off i'm waiting for that to pay off it was a nice mix of i wonder where that is going and oh that explains the thing that happened and that was like that was very fun yeah it's very this one has a lot of craft yeah and it's also very much about jim's craft Mm -hmm. this is a good episode i'm gonna say that on, on, (laughs) on the onset here i enjoyed it the other thing that you said that I wanted to, to reiterate was that this is a very Jim point of view episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some dramatic moments where we go 
away from Jim just to see, yeah, you know, see something from someone else's perspective before we go back to Jim. But from the perspective of the narrative, this is a we find out what Jim knows when Jim knows it, and we follow him as he goes through the twists and turns. And we, it's one of the ones we can try and solve with Jim. Right, right, yeah. Though not really because the. <laughs> Oh, there, yeah. There is a bit of a like, oh, so that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. That's um, true. That I think we never would have come up with. But yeah. neither would have Jim until they find that evidence. So uh, as we say, we'll get to it uh, yeah. once we get into the episode. But first, we have to get into the preview montage. All right. Uh, so <laughs> three things. Um, no, sorry. Four things here. And one, uh, one of them is you have to be in the mind space that I'm in right now. So let me just put, all right, deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was excited I to see Deal. Deal, exclamation point. Yeah, uh, especially because we'd just seen him before, and I was just like, yeah, I really like, uh, I'd like to see more Deal. And um, we'll get into Deal's Deal. I believe on our last show, we established the spinoff Deal podcast, The Deal Deal. So yeah, the deal we're going to have our podcast within a podcast, The Deal Deal, <laughs> later. Yeah, because uh, I think that this episode has some good deal as compared to... Um, Chapman right. moments uh, that I think I'd like to talk about. Uh, a body. So mm-hmm. we know that there's a murder. Uh, and then uh, Deal threatening to jerk Rockford's ticket. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason why, because I, I, I'm currently reading uh, one of Stephen King's books that he wrote under the name Richard Bachman mm-hmm. called The Long Road about like young teenage kids that go for a long walk as part of like some sort of government game show kind of deal, mm-hmm. they're followed by soldiers. And when they're, uh, fall behind, they get warnings. And if they get three or four warnings, I can't remember which, um, they get their ticket pulled, which means they get killed because mm-hmm. it's a Stephen King story. Right. Like, but I had just finished reading a chapter of that and I was like, okay, it's time to watch some Rockford files. I'm done with this heavy stuff. And there's deal threatening to jerk. Rockford's ticket and my brain hadn't switched over yet <laughs> and I was like well that's a hell of a threat uh but no it's his his PI license I'm guessing yeah, yeah, yeah. all right that was a long way around to just say uh I was suddenly paying a lot more attention <laughs> and then a legit cliffhanger uh-huh yeah we end up with a car hang with a with a firebird hanging off a cliff how are we going to get there we're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 today. Thanks to you, we are a 100% listener-supported show. We extend special thanks to our Gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Chuck from whatyoureading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com, Shane Liebling, check out his dice rolling app Roll for Your Party for all of your online gaming needs at rollforyour.party. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, and Matthew Lee. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter. Brian Pereira, at Thermoware. Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88. And of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. An episode of plus expenses comes out in advance of every episode of 200 a day. 
Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it, and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Uh, well, we start at Jim's trailer, where he is making a sandwich. For me, it was the first red herring. Uh, I don't know if you had the same thing, but it's a shot outside the trailer with a, a guy walking along with a fishing pole. And I was like, <laughs> oh, Jim's going to go fishing. No, that's not Jim. Mm. <laughs> that is not the relaxing little vacation that Jim's going to have this episode. But instead... No, no, no. No, he is having a relaxing afternoon in uh, where he is assembling a sandwich. I appreciate that. His So this is clearly a ritual, right? So he has the ball game on. I think it's the I think it's football. I think it's the Rams. I think it's what they said. So he has the ball game on. Football. American football. American football, yes. Uh and he's on the phone, which we'll get to in a second, but he's making himself a sandwich. By which I mean he has a platter on his coffee table of individual yes. sandwich ingredients. And he is assembling them, he is stacking them on his bread in order to create his sandwich. And under what circumstances do you go to the trouble to take your sandwich fixins, put them on a tray, bring them into a different room, and then make your sandwich? Other than this is the ball game, I'm sitting down, yeah. I'm going to watch, I'm going to make my sandwich. Like, this is clearly a, a little personal ritual of, like, you're taking your time. I, I too, thought a lot about this. Because <laughs> um, this is one of my weird bugaboos where, like, uh, even in circumstances like Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, like where, where you, it makes sense to have platters full of food. Mm. I'm not obsessed with this, but like, are you not obsessed with this? Well, maybe I am. I'm like, why would I take food and put it somewhere else only to then take it and put it somewhere else? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, but of course, obviously you always do that unless you eat right out of the pot, mm. right over the pot when you, you know what I mean? Like, it, but, um, like the more stages between mm-hmm. cooking the food or assembling it or whatever and, and getting it in my mouth, the more, the I'm like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose of a gravy boat? Like why, <laughs> why don't we just take gravy out of the pot and just pour it over our food and, and go from there? But I, I get it. This is a thing. Like especially if you're serving a lot of people. Right, but he's right, not. Right. He's just serving himself. And my the conclusion I came to – I, I I like the ritual conclusion. I think your conclusion is better than the one I came to. The one I came to, which I don't even think is supported by the what we see in the scene, is that um, this is TV, not streaming, so the game is on. Hmm. So he just grabbed all the fixings hmm. and brought them over there so as to not to miss anything. Uh, but it's funny that, I mean, it makes sense that you would think about this. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think these can both be true. Right, right? yeah. Like, I'm going to watch the game. Let me get all my stuff so that I go over there and I don't miss any of the game. But you only do that when you are going to sit down and watch the game. Yeah, exactly. But it's stuck in my head, too. Like, I saw it. I was like, why is he doing this? <laughs> you have a whole kitchen right there. Just right. make your food there. Well, and, and now we have the tension of, is he going to actually eat his sandwich? Yes. So... He's assembling a sandwich. He's on the phone with Solly to find out the odds for some some bet that he's thinking about making. I, of course, wondered if this is the same as Solly, the bail bondsman that we see every so often. Oh, right. Which maybe, I, I mean, it is not investigated further. Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe it isn't. Uh, but he is interrupted by a knock on the door. 
a, a woman in a trench coat is uh, wants to come in and see him. Jim ends up not making the bet, hangs up the phone, starts talking to the woman as he continues messing with his sandwich, including including going to the fridge, getting his milk, and getting his mustard. Because there's a moment where he starts putting the top layer of bread on and then takes it back off and frowns at his sandwich. So good. Because he clearly doesn't have any condiments. So yeah. he has to go get the mustard. Oh, acting is reacting. Yes. Chef kiss. So good. All right. So this woman says that she is uh, Jennifer Sandstrom. Um, she wants to hire Jim. He, thankfully, uh, that's, that's the, the, the business that he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, so he seems to be in a good mood through this whole thing. He's, he's in a good mood and also not too bothered by her. Yeah. Like when she did come in, he continued placing his bet. Well, not placing his bet. Not play, but like having the conversation about it, you know, like, mm-hmm. which seems to me like that would normally be not an impression, like a first impression you would get if you, but we I know mean, about Jim. He hates getting work. Right, right. He doesn't want to work. So this yeah. all goes in his favor. Um, Jennifer Sandstrom, um, her sister was found dead um, mm-hmm. off a pier. It, it's being called a suicide. There's even a note in her hand that was left in her car. But this woman, Jennifer, doesn't believe it, says that his, her sister would never have drowned herself even if she was suicidal. She was terrified of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would have done something else. So Jim's like, you know, getting the story out of her while he gets his milk and his mustard. Uh, he, you know, he says that, uh, you know, the, the police should handle it. Let the police handle it. They're calling it a suicide. So she wants someone, she wants Jim to look into it. She starts counting out $100 bills out of her purse and we get a close-up on the hundreds and then we see Jim as he's clearly looking down at her counting while he's trying to not take this job. This is a a wonderful scene, this back and forth where you see the tension between him needing the money but also this being exactly the kind of job he wouldn't take Mm -hmm. but also exactly the kind of job we expect him to take. Right. Uh, We as the audience are looking for the thing that hooks him, he's looking for an excuse to take the money, uh, but he's also looking for an excuse to reject the case. Right, right. And, and like, all of that is coming through. He he makes a crack that uh, three times that amount of money wouldn't he wouldn't take the job. And then he kind of laughs. He's like, well, yeah, <laughs> well, maybe three times. <laughs> um, but she offers him, it looks like she offers him $300. It looks like she has three bills. Mm-hmm. she's trying to give it to him and is pleading that she needs to know for sure. She just wants to get someone other than the police to look into it. Um, and, and gives him a good solid, please, I need your help. And yeah. as we know that, that plus the cold, hard cash will, yeah. will, will warm the cockles of Jim's PI heart. He says he'll look around for one day and he just takes the $200. Mm-hmm. So that's his compromise. I'll work, but I won't take all the money you're offering me. Yeah. Um, she gives him her sister's address and then her address where she can be found. And he goes like, oh, that's a nice area. And she says that, uh, well, daddy left us plenty of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's going to leave. But then she turns. She has a manila envelope. And she's like, oh, I want to make sure you have this. I found these things in my sister's room. I don't recognize them. They may be relevant. And there's a piece of jewelry with some inscription on it and uh, love letters with the the bottoms cut off where some kind of final statement or signature or something would be. I I want you to keep these. I don't want to lose these. They're they're important and uh, wants him to start right away. 
he uh, unfortunately can muster no resistance to the idea of starting right away. And so uh, he does not eat his sandwich or watch his ball game. <laughs> and we see them leave the trailer and get into their respective cars as we go across the parking lot and see uh, two two goons in a red in a red car watching. So this this thing with the folder, this was my first moment where I was like, I was like, this is a setup, right? <laughs> like, I I didn't know for certain. Like, my notes have question marks all over them. But I was like, it's not the stuff that she's handing him. It's the way she's acting as she's handing him. I was like, this is this is actually starting to, to be a little suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Not not that I shouldn't already be suspicious because somebody has come to give Jim work. But like, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It does seem it is significant that he has this particular envelope with this stuff in it. That is, that is clear. So my immediate thought is like, Oh, a setup of some kind where he's going to be in a place. And then yeah. this is going to be some kind of evidence. And it's uh he's, he's going to get like, like caught by the police or something. Uh, I didn't make a note of it, but the opening montage had a few things with deal yelling at Rockford. Right. And also some cops looking for Rockford by name. Yeah, so I definitely was like, oh, I'm I'm waiting waiting for the frame up. Right, right. I was wrong, as we'll learn. Yeah, the credits play over over Jim getting in his car and taking off. Uh, he ends up at a payphone where he gives Becker, his good friend Dennis Becker, a phone call. Um, he wants a little wants to know a little more about this suicide case. Becker says it's not his case; it's Deal's case. So uh, we yeah. should talk to Deal. They have a little good, solid Jim and Becker back and forth. Yes. <laughs> sure, I can check on it. I just don't want it. Come on, Dennis. She was a floater on the beach in Santa Monica. There's got to be some reason you guys are calling it suicide. There is. Okay, what is it? We're calling it suicide because it was a suicide. See how neat that works out? Jim and, Jim and Dennis, their whole deal. Yes. Jim says, okay, I'm officially letting you know that I'm looking... I'm on this case. Why tell me? Tell Dio. I'm telling you because I'm talking to you. You see how neat that works out? <laughs> so this is, uh, like I said, I, as we were going through, there are moments that I was like, this is a weird decision. And I couldn't tell if it was, again, like just a weird decision made on the, the creative team level or a weird thing that's happening in the fiction and uh, this one where he drives off and then calls Dennis from a payphone. Mm -hmm. That's the weird decision that I this is the one that I don't have an answer for. I understand now why in the fiction they have him drive off at that moment, because that's what's necessary to get some of these gears running. Right, right. But like, I'm like, why didn't he just call him from his office? I think it is just not to undercut the urgency with which he he leaves the trailer with the envelope. Yeah, right. Um, I think that's that's all it is. So yeah, it yeah, is a yeah. it is a a plot functional thing. Yeah, as it turns out. Well, Jim uh, arrives at the house of the the house of the of the deceased, uh, whose name is Alice. Um, so first he sees there's a car in the in the driveway and he pokes around in the car and he pulls out. I, I could not figure out for the life of me what that was. At some point, I actually paused because I was like, this seems like it should be important. I think it's a sales receipt. I paused as well. Um, and then later on, he does a similar thing that I had to pause on. Uh, I 
it's a sales receipt um, because I remember noting that it was like for like twenty four dollars or something like that. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a whole lot of money. Yeah, it was it was for like like service, like auto service. Yeah, but it's got the guy's name on it, and that's right. the important. Uh, I this is definitely a thing where he's just sifting for information. Yeah, he's just poking around. He sees it, yeah. but the camera shows us the what he's looking yeah. at, and I was like, oh, this will be important later. What is it? And it's a sales receipt, and it does have this law firm on it. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing. It might. I think this is like a setup for his little. Oh, oh, okay. Kung, his little swindle that he it plays is, on this guy. It is. I was thinking at a higher level. Yeah. Um, yes, you are right. I am overthinking it. Yes. <laughs> uh,. So he sees this receipt uh, with a couple names on it. He puts it back, and then a guy with a pool skimmer comes walking out of the... There's clearly a backyard pool. Yeah. This guy comes walking out with his pool skimmer and muttering about uh, how the, the filter's broken, and he's going to he's gonna have to go down to the office to... Not the office. I forget what he says. The warehouse to get a new one. Yeah. He's going to need to get some kind of parts to fix the filter. Jim stops him and asks if there's anyone in the house. And he says, uh, yeah, I think there's some guy in there. Um, and he walks off muttering to himself about the, the pool. I went through like a whole series of like, well, it was his muttering where mm-hmm. I was like, that's that's odd behavior for someone. And the guy was kind of, you know, a little gruff. I wasn't thinking I wasn't suspicious of him. Right. I right. was thinking this is an odd choice in telling this character in this story this just weird incidental character whatever mm-hmm. then i was like pool hold on she's afraid of water <laughs> wait a minute if she's dead why is she getting her pool clean hold on <laughs> this is my series of like what's going on here uh jim doesn't get to that point yet but he he will well while i'm like oh clearly this pool filter is important mm-hmm. and then that does in fact get get investigated later yes uh, I didn't even think about the water thing, so yeah. good on you. <laughs> so, 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 listeners, Epi's questions are all relevant and addressed in this episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unlike some other episodes where we're like, we have all these questions, and then none of it went anywhere. We're like, no, no, these are actually structured into the narrative of that these questions exist. And then when they are answered and how they are answered are parts of the story. Yeah, and it's satisfying. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't even think about the the pool thing because I was, I think, like all of our, like like our favorite episodes, it's operating on a lot of levels. You can just watch this and not care yeah, about yeah, any exactly. of this stuff and just watch events unfold. Or you can have all of these questions and wait to find out. And it works on both levels. If it, I think if it weren't even for the fact that that was the the justification for why she might not have committed suicide given to Jim. Um, I would have just read all of this as, oh, it's a pool. This is a rich person's home. Right, 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 right. That, that was what we needed to know. All right. So we see Jim yeah. picking one of his many business cards out of his wallet and decides to go with the county assessor one. We see the goons still staking him out. Uh, they don't know what's going on, but they're going to wait and see. And this is when I was like, are they cops? <laughs> I same thing, same thing. With, with one of them goes, "What's going on here?" I'm like, "These are cops. These yeah. aren't goons. These are cops." There's there's a weird valence of goon to cop. Where in our yeah. fir- the first time we saw them, I was like, "I wonder if these are cops." And then the yeah. second time, I saw them, I'm like, "Okay, these are definitely cops." And I don't know if it's just like the costuming. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, th- there's probably some of that, um, but. For me, it's the question itself was presented in a way that, like, there's the goon way, mm-hmm. 
which is more along the lines of like, I don't know what the hell's going on around here. Mm-hmm. This way is was definitely like, wait a minute, what's happening? <laughs> you know, it's just, um, I mean, it, it's not that they couldn't have turned out to be goons as well. And they would have been interesting goons with that attitude. But I was like, my notes say, oh, they're cops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we both, yeah, decided that at the same time. Um, inside this house, my main note was there's so much wood paneling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jim hears a noise and he uh, finds a guy poking through uh, jewelry boxes on a bureau. And he turns around and I was like, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, this is George Weiner. This is an incidental character. Yeah. Um, but his, his name, the actor's name is George Weiner. Um, he's a very distinctive kind of character actor face we've seen him in a feeding frenzy and in queen of peru he's in another episode i believe i don't know why i i just like go like oh this guy he's just fun he was um he was in space balls yeah and that is like every time i see him i'm like like it takes me like three beats to remember him in the uh villain uniform from space balls and go oh yeah yeah that's the guy sidebar a little production note. I'm working on editing a recent episode that we recorded that will have come out by the time you're hearing this. But mm-hmm. we talk about the show uh, Kaz because mm-hmm. that director yeah. had done this show Kaz and it had this great um, log line about the, the... You just heard that episode. You're probably like, uh, why are you still talking about this? Um, <laughs> the, the cases of former car thief turned criminal attorney Martin Kaz Kaczynski. Yes. So George Weiner, this guy, is in this show, is in Kaz, and plays a DA, according to his credit, and is in all 23 episodes. So yeah. the reasons for us to watch Kaz are just mounting. They've, they've increased, yes. Doubled? At least. Um, but that is neither here nor there. No. Uh, in this episode of The Rockford Files, uh, he is, uh, his name is Bryce. And he is an attorney, and he is—he works for the law firm that's handling the deceased's affairs. And so Jim's line here is that he's from the county assessor, and they haven't finished doing inventory uh, for the county tax records or whatever. And we have just good Jim Bluster uh-huh. uh, just totally cowing this guy with the combination of um, appeal to authority and also— mm-hmm. Just bullying. He comes in armed with this guy's name and this firm, right? Like from what we got earlier. Right. So, so that's what I missed that that yeah. text that was on that, that receipt is the information that he is using for this con. No, this is great. This is a, as, as I've said before, this is a masterclass here because he just puts him on edge. We were authorized to remove the items that were special bequests in the will. Who told you that? Ah. Uh... I think, um... No, come on. I'd like to know. Who told you that? Uh, I was uh, Mr. Uh, Talbot. He's in your office. Yeah, Mr. Friedland spoke to him, I think. Talbot told you that? So this is a slightly different... Because usually Jim is the one... Uh, he plays the character who is trying to make the best out of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Has, like, all this pressure from on top. But in this case, I have a, a, a good-for-nothing employee who gave you wrong information... I want his name because I'm going to make sure he doesn't do that to anyone again. Yeah, like, and so it puts Bryce in a spot where he just he doesn't want to to get anyone fired. Right. He just wants out of this. Right. He He doesn't want to make the situation worse. Yeah. And he doesn't feel like he has the authority to just reject what 
Jim is saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Importantly, Jim, and I think this is just a shot in the dark. Jim says, have you found or have you moved the keys to the safe deposit box? Mm-hmm. Bryce uh, says that, uh, oh, I don't know anything about a safe deposit box, but I did find these keys. And he does have some keys that are clearly for a safe deposit box. <laughs> and that's a, that's a pure fishing trip, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason that Jim should know that this is the thing that, but he just knows to look for those things. And Right, right. This is just base, base PI behavior. Is there a safety deposit box involved? Yeah. Jim gets those keys and then uh, hustles, hustles Bryce out of there. And he keeps calling him young. He's like, okay, young man. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because to me they look like they're at least the same age. But yeah. I, I don't know. Bryce does not have a full head of hair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he... He reads as older than... Than he probably is. No, he is 20 years younger than Jim. So, yeah. Oh, wow. He is a young man. He just looks older. That's what happens when you're balding, I guess. Not that I would know anything about that, but (laughs) (laughs) you're the expert in such things. (laughs) But, yeah, I really, really ate this scene up. I, I just love the way he kept him on his heels the whole time, didn't let him, you know, like, get enough ground to question anything that's happening. Basically forcing him to juggle until he just fled. Uh, He pokes around the house and then he goes out to the pool and pokes around the pool shed. And then he does go into like the utility shed or whatever. Opens the filter as previously uh, 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 set up for us and finds a bunch of hair in the filter. Yes. Now, this is interesting because... um, I mean, we'll come back to this later, but like that moment and all the business around the filter was the fatal mistake that uh, the villain of our episode made. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just in juxtaposition to this wonderful con that Jim pulled off. This was uh, this is the, the, the other way all of that could go down. Um, Jim uh, goes back inside to call Becker again. As he's on the phone with Becker and then Deal, his blocking is such that he kind of idly plays with the door that he's next to yeah. and n- notices that it's open. It's like a sliding door out to the pool. I think we get a shot of him kind of like pulling it back and forth and you can see it's kind of scratched up. This is not mentioned in the text here, but it is shown to us and then we it won't be important later again. Yeah. Um, but what is happening here is... Uh, Jim wants to talk to Deal because he thinks that she was drowned in her own pool and it was not a suicide. He wants Deal to come up there, check the filter, and check the autopsy report and see if the water in her lungs, you know, is seawater or not. Um, uh, Deal, of course, doesn't want anything to do with Jim, doesn't want to. He's like, I've already closed this case. Um, Jim threatens to call the city attorney himself if Deal doesn't look into it. (laughs) <laughs> this is when Deal threatens to jerk his ticket. Yeah. And then Jim hangs up after giving his uh, his hot tip to Lieutenant Deal. So imagine Chapman in this situation, right? <laughs> Chapman would put out a warrant for his arrest immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's You could have this entire scene done with the exact same dialogue with Chapman. And what I what I like about Deal and Chapman is that they read two different ways, even though they both can't stand Jim. <laughs> Uh, Chapman, it's like a personal thing. Mm-hmm. There's just something about Deal that's just you. You feel like you might be able to reason your way out of a situation with with not not 
you might bring him around to what's right. He mm-hmm. he doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have, you know, uh, the patience. He's He's got other things to do. He's got a, a life to live. But he's not unreasonable. And now right. none of that is actually in this dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it's how the, you know, uh, what's his name? Tom Atkins plays him. Mm-hmm. Jim's yelling at him, but this might get through. When they were done, I was sure that he was actually going to look into it. Deal is willing to accept that maybe there's stuff he doesn't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even if he hates where that information is coming from. Um, Jim then goes to see Jennifer Sandstrom with what he's found out, but dun, dun, dun. (laughs) This is a different woman. Oh no, Jim was lied to in the first place, which I think is uh, uh, fulfilling a suspicion we may have had uh, originally. She's like, hey, if you're from the insurance agency, I've already talked to you people. I don't want to file a claim. My sister committed suicide. Well, I'm working for Friedler, Pike, and Morris. Tom Bryce hired me this afternoon. There's some legal matters that need to be concluded. Such as? Well, um... And then just counters what he's saying with like, I knew all of my sister's affairs. I've never heard of the things you're talking about. There's no yeah. way she could have been a, a controlling partner in any kind of interest, uh, seeing how she's been in and out of mental institutions for the last two years. What is all this malarkey about my sister being a general partner in some sort of investment? Yeah. <laughs> Jim's response is great. Why, well, it's just that. What? Malarkey. It's all malarkey. He's like, you got me. Yeah. Whatever. I got what I needed out of this or all I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is another, I think that's kind of key to why a lot of these cons work for Jim. I can't imagine pulling off these cons that Jim does because to me, I would have this intense fear of being caught. Right. Right. Yeah. And when Jim is caught, he's like, okay, I've been caught. Now we move on to the next thing. He doesn't really have this internalized, like fear of consequences. I think yeah. that a lot of us have, like, as a character, at least, when he knows there will be certain consequences, he manages that. Yeah. But but the idea of being caught is its own fear. Right. But what does it matter if there's no consequences? Like, the consequences of being caught here are, yeah, you're right, I'm just a random guy who wandered into your house, I'm yeah. going to leave now, goodbye. And that's not so bad. There's no embarrassment for what he's doing, for him, right? Where I would I would be dying while <laughs> attempting it and then literally die the moment I was caught. Like, right. what is this malarkey? Like, the word malarkey <laughs> would be the killing word mm-hmm. from Muad'Dib's lips. <laughs> it just <laughs> slay me right there. Um, uh, but not for Jim. Um, we have a brief moment with people who are not Jim. Um, back in the red car are following goons. Uh, one of our cops, as we think they are now, uh, one of them had made a phone call and now he's back. They are supposed to stick on this guy. There are two other guys on the quote, the girl. And then we go back to the real Jennifer who is making a call and leaving a message for Mr. Friedler uh, to call her back when he gets in. It's urgent. Jim is stirring up some kind of hornet's nest. We now get some good Jim tradecraft as uh we follow him in in his car as oh yes yeah. uh he he realizes that he's picked up a tail and we see all of this from either outside we don't hear any of this this is all viewed either from the perspective of the the cops following him or just from outside the windows he pulls into a motel goes into the little office so clearly gets a room mm-hmm. and then we go in with him to see 
him peeking out the blinds as we watch one of the cops go in to clearly ask the woman who that guy was. And Jim frowns and then just goes, cops. (laughs) (laughs) Before the guy puts his hand in his pocket to pull out a badge or whatever. Right. This is the thing. This is so we've been suspicious of them being cops. But like, yeah, no, I love that he just the way he comports himself must have conveyed to Jim that he was a cop, right? Like it was just his body there's something about, yeah, yeah. My notes were like, is Jim setting up an ambush? Because <laughs> because in my mind, Jim thinks they're goons, and I still have this shadow of a doubt that mm-hmm. they might be goons. So I'm expecting Jim to like go into the room. Like, go out the back window and come around yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, like put a bunch of, of of the, you know, empty the shampoo bottle on the floor in some way to, like, and be ready to, like, jump the guy or whatever. Sure, sure. Like, whatever Jim's plan is, I was like, what is going on here? Jim's plan is brilliant and far better than anything that I would have <laughs> come up with. In my head, I'm already trying to build up what his plan is, assuming that he's dealing with, with goons or, you know, whatever. And then he says, cops... And then I feel like this is when he changes his plan. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This may have been his plan all along. But I really dig what he does here. Yeah. I feel like he's just giving himself options, right? Step one, find out who these guys are. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, cops. Okay, step two. (laughs) You know, you may be right that if they were not cops, maybe he would do something else. But his plan here has beautiful simplicity. I think he's done this... I feel like we've seen him do something similar to this on one of the, like, he's out of town yeah. ones. Um, but he just calls and leaves a wake-up call for 7.30 because he's going to take a nap. Yep. We follow the cop as he goes back to his partner and says, all right, the guy's taking a nap. Uh, he left a wake-up call for 7.30. And they're like, all right, we'll come back at 7.30 to check in on him. Until then, <laughs> we have other stuff to do. And they head off. And goons would not necessarily believe that he's going to go take a nap. Right. But cops will. Or they might take advantage of the fact that he's going to be in a nap, right? Like, right. But yeah, cops are, are, you know, they don't have the time to stick around. Right, right. Um, so they buy it. They head off. And then Jim follows them. Yeah, <laughs> so he... good. It is so good. <laughs> And then follows them and then sees them check in with another car. So he's, he, he stops the, the, the firebird, gets out, kind of h- hides behind a hedge, watches them because they're in a residential street. They're talking to another car, clearly other cops. And then he sees a car in the opposite driveway. And it's the car of the woman who had come and hired him originally that morning. So I have a hypothesis about the creative process here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I suspect uh, there's a point in the story where whoever's channel or whoever is writing this, it's like how, like before this plan of Jim tailing the cop, you know, like right. doing the reversal, using the nap to get them to leave and then tailing them. Uh, there's the question of how do we get Jim to find her again? Right, right. Yeah. Because that's where we need to go. So what is it that, and this solution is just gorgeous. Like, I just love yeah, this solution so good. to that problem. On on one level, it's very procedural. It's like, okay, yeah. we need to get Jim to get back to her. How are we going to get her him back to her? Here's the method by which we do that. But it has absolute narrative coherence. Yeah. Because as we learn more about why the cops are trailing her, it's like, oh, okay. So yeah, that is 
just just follow the logic a to b to c yeah. oh yeah uh that is how that went down okay that makes sense like yeah it works mechanically but it's entirely within the narrative flow of the story as we learn how it has gone down at, so. at this point jim has no theory of what's happening Right. He has far more questions than he has any answers. Uh, he's probably not even thinking about getting back to her yet. Or if he is, he's like, that's a, a problem for the future. That's not what yeah. he's trying to solve here. I mean, here. yeah, his number one issue is why are these cops following yes. me? And it's just this natural thing for him to do. Uh, in natural thing for Jim to do, right? right like, right, not right. a natural thing for me to do, but a natural thing for him to do. And, um, yeah, it's just great. I just love this. This is one of my favorite moments in this episode. So Jim, of course, sneaks over a hedge to go uh, <laughs> make his way into her house. Is this the is this the moment with the music? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, there's this. I think this is the moment where the music is really kind of experimental. It's it sounds very airy and very <laughs> jazzy. Uh, but also it's clearly suspenseful sneaking music. <laughs> it's something that Simone would be humming. Mm-hmm. While she... uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he slips into the back and comes into this kitchen where the woman who is clearly not Jennifer Stranson- Sandstrom is chopping up carrots. <laughs> he appears. She is not excited to see him. Um, you're upset. I can appreciate that. And, uh... Ask him if he wants if he wants to stay for lunch. She can add some more carrots to the stew. Um, so this whole scene is played out from Jim is righteously indignant. She, uh, we will soon learn her name is is uh, Christine, but he calls her Tina the whole time. Um, so Tina, yeah. From her perspective, she just wants Jim to go away. There's nothing to learn. Like, yeah, yeah. There is no follow up. She doesn't have an agenda. She's done. Yeah, she did her job. So she just wants Jim to go away because he's just a complication now. Yeah. While Jim wants to find out, okay, why did you set me up? Because mm-hmm. this is clearly a setup, and he's mad about it. Um. So it is. Uh. It is. It is a a fun scene. They have some good kind of combative chemistry. Jim's kind of a jerk, but you kind of get why. Um. Throughout this scene, first of all, there is this yellow on yellow on yellow color scheme going oh, yeah. on in here, which is amazing she's wearing a yellow t-shirt with like some like flowers or something kind of pattern and then her house is almost entirely yellow (laughs) and it's just a strong strong visual um he digs through her purse uh she is in fact also a pi Mm -hmm. so the plot thickens uh he finds the remnants of the props that she made these love letters and this engraved jewelry or whatever she basically made those just as props for her story to give to jim This is one of the questions that I wonder about it because um, she probably grabbed the stuff and slipped him into an envelope because she knew this would be suspicious enough. The question is, did she make up some love letters or did she – because these are – she wouldn't have to sign and then cut the signature off of of props. Mm -hmm. But if she had love letters on hand that she then cut the signatures off of and used them – it doesn't matter to the story at all, but mm-hmm. it does matter. It, there are two characters here. The one character 
who goes through the trouble of writing a bunch of fictional love letters uh, and then using them. And the other one that is willing to take love letters that she has held on to <laughs> for whatever reason and mm-hmm. use them to frame Jim. And they're both... They're both interesting. They're both very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think from the sense I got from the story as we learn it is that this was kind of a rush. Yeah. Which implies that she just had those on hand. Yeah. So that's but, interesting, right? Like yeah. it's... I, the other thing is that the leftovers of the love letters, the cut up signature parts, like I said, you wouldn't need to write signatures if you were just making them up. So right, right, and they're in her like tr- in her like wastebasket. Yeah, like, yeah. Clearly, there's stuff written on them. So yeah, Jim is uh, looking through her closet. He finds her uh, her silver plated little handgun that is hidden in like a jewelry box or something. She's trying to keep him from finding that. Oh, my stew! It's burning. Aren't you coming? You didn't put it on the stove. I notice little things like that. I'm a detective, remember? If you want to get rid of me, you'll have to do better than that. In <laughs> uh, here, he also says, I, want, I just want to know why you red-dogged me. Remember, I'm the guy that got red-dogged. Red-dogged? Yeah, it's a football term. That's where the line opens up a hole and they shoot a linebacker through to sack the unsuspecting quarterback. Right, but in that case... That's not sacrificing the linebacker. Like, I guess yeah. maybe I don't understand the term. <laughs> I think the, the metaphor here is that, no, you're right. I don't understand it either. Because I think it's, it, I when I was watching it, I thought of it as making an opening so she can go through. Mm-hmm. But I, okay. yeah, I don't quite understand it either. This is, this is one of those areas where we have hit upon the limits of our knowledge. It, maybe it makes sense if you know football. Don't email us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> under any circumstance <laughs> no no i mean like i think it's fine if somebody knows how to make the metaphor work uh mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't mind learning a little something but yeah the the point is she she sent him out as a sacrifice yeah exactly and he wants to know why jim uh wants to get out of there and find it i mean because there's still cops outside right well let's take a little break uh we want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can Google Epidia. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand. Or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular, dot com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. So we cut to Jim and Tina and the Firebird. There's this kind of gross moment where, like, yeah. they, like he stops. I think he just pulls over to, like, talk or whatever. And she turns and she's like, you know, I'm out of here. And she goes to just, like, unlock the door. And he has the lock, like, pin that he's yeah. pulled out of the door so she can't unlock it. This scene, I think, is supposed to show that Jim is staying a step or two ahead of yes. her. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I, I, was, I wasn't quite sure what he was showing her, and I thought the same thing. I thought it was a lockpick, but then I paid attention to the door after that, mm-hmm. and it was still there. <laughs> so I don't... 
that's probably just a production yeah yeah thing yeah but i agree I, the same thing i think the intention is like oh you can't get out right and i don't love that yeah exactly <laughs> thankfully it doesn't get weirder than that but that was that was a moment i i didn't love if he did it to angel i'd be a-okay so there's, right right there's well it's that. all about the power dynamic right yeah, yeah. and it's like he's already kind of bullying her he's already got her gun right and like is physically much larger and like the dynamic is different than if it's angel yeah it does not get any weirder from there that's just that moment really struck me yeah all right so he finally gets the story so she was hired by an insurance company pacific trust that had insured a jewelry collection worth $3 million that had been stolen some weeks prior. The thieves then offered the insurance company uh, an opportunity to buy them back for mm-hmm. less than it would cost them to pay out the insurance. So she was hired as the go-between to handle this drop because they didn't want any police involved because this is... Yeah, a little shady. It's it's pretty shady. Um, I imagine it's probably illegal. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is actually ripped from today's headlines. There's been um, two or three things that have happened recently, like the pipeline, mm-hmm. the hackers that hack the the not the pipeline itself, but their ability to charge. <laughs> yeah, so they ended up paying the hackers ransom, and then the, I think it was an insurance company that paid some other ransom hacker ransom of several million dollars. Mm. That that's a scandal that's breaking as we speak. Um, so somehow she doesn't know how the cops did get wind of it, and she mm-hmm. was being followed by these by by cops. So she came up with this scheme. She has a Manila envelope with the money from the insurance company. So she goes and gets that envelope. Yeah. Then she has the fake envelope that she's put these props into. She goes to Jim's trailer, does her whole rigmarole. Yeah. In order to get him to leave the trailer holding a manila envelope. Yes. And that puts the cops following her on him instead. She goes off and does her thing. It all goes fine. Yes. Jim got, went off to do his boondoggle. And uh, from her perspective, everyone got what they wanted. And Jim made $200 out of it. Yeah. So what's it complain about? Uh, by now, they've gone to a gas station. And Jim has uh, asked for $3 of gas. Yes. <laughs> I was like... Could you just open the tank and cough in it? <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably like half a tank. Now that we're talking about it, it's also fun to go back and look at this from the cop's perspective who are investigating this insurance payout. They follow the money, they follow it to Jim, and then they follow Jim to a su- like the house of somebody who had committed suicide. And the guy's like, what is going on here? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking up the cast prices? Yes. <laughs> That's good. I should have looked it up. Uh, 1975. I think this is an average as opposed to in California, mm-hmm. but apparently 53 cents a gallon. All right. So he's getting yeah, six I mean, gallons. Somewhere in there. Now, okay, let's just make sure that we're, we're being as on top of it. Mm-hmm. That's a quarter tank for a Pontiac Firebird. Yeah. All right. Quarter tank seems, seems nice. Now. Hold on. <laughs> well, because there's another factor here. This is the type of deep dive that people tune in for. He got $3 of gas, which we're figuring is about six gallons, which is about a quarter tank for mm-hmm. the Firebird. So three nineteen seventy five dollars is almost 15 today dollars. Yes. Yeah. It's fourteen eighty nine Right now, at the gas station by my house, <laughs> gas is about three... I think the last time I looked, it was three fifty nine a gallon. It's just under three here. 
Well, let me put it this way. I know that gas is more expensive in California. Yeah. So right now, according to Gas Buddy... Okay, so right now the average price of gas in LA County is four fifteen. So the fifteen, the almost fifteen dollars would get you about three and a half gallons of gas on average in LA County. So the purchasing power of Jim getting gas at the time was more than it is now. Is but we have to take miles per gallon into account. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think we do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess unless a comparable car these days only has a 12-gallon gas tank, which I think is probably unlikely. I mean, like when I looked into it, uh, the Firebird nowadays has less of a gas tank than it did in the 70s, which makes sense because it's probably more fuel efficient. Right, right, right. We are well out of our depth at this point. I was going to say the point is there is no point. We just uh, (laughs) just establishing that Jim's $3 of gas was getting him about a quarter tank. And today, those $15 of gas would probably get him less than a quarter tank. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. Well, good on Jim for finding a good deal. (laughs) Speaking of deal. The only problem with all of this is that Jim thinks that this woman was actually murdered. Right. And Tina is like, what, what, what? Yeah. He he mentions deal. I called Lieutenant Deal out the police station. Lieutenant Thomas Deal? Yeah, you know him? (laughs) Do I? He hates me. Yeah, me too. And we see them start to bond. Yeah. But from Jin's perspective, I have now gotten Deal to look into this. Let's go down to the station, clear the air so that everyone knows where this is all coming from. Uh, she doesn't want to. Jim still has her gun. And in a nice reversal of the things that always happen to him, you don't have a license for this, do you? <laughs> uh, so threatens to uh, to get her with that if she doesn't go along with his plan. She gives in and we end the scene with... The deal is such a clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we go to them talking to Lieutenant Deal in person, and Deal is not happy. Jim has sent him, you know how much money you're costing the county? Uh, there's no pool water in her lungs, and he runs down all the reasons we've already heard about why it's a suicide. Yeah. And says, uh, ask Jim, when is he going to be satisfied? And Jim says, oh, about now. Yeah, I'm good. So Jim at this point is kind of like, okay, I know what's happening. I don't need to be part of this anymore. Deal has been dreading the day the, those two got together. So good. Um, asks why Tina hired Jim. She says to get the cops under Sergeant Sherman to follow Jim instead of her. And why? Well, that's privileged client information, but you can talk to that sergeant to get all the mm-hmm. information. Oh, look, Lieutenant, why stand around yammering with us, huh? What do you expect to get out of a couple of jerk private eyes? Why don't we just say we made a big mistake and Tina and I'll get out of your life? Huh? In two and a half years I've known you, it's the first thing you've ever said I can get behind. <laughs> he has a great little smile here when Jim mm-hmm. makes that suggestion that I love. It's just like <laughs> this sigh of relief, like, okay, all right, I'm done with them. Yeah, the deal deal no longer has to deal. Yes, <laughs> We uh, are back in the Firebird, and Jim, well, he just can't let it go. He wants to drop by the Sandstrom house again. It'll just take a minute. (laughs) Because, here's the thing, there was no van or truck for that pool guy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And he noticed that the back door had been jimmied open. Um, They have some sarcastic banter, as I note, Uh, but his, his... he had been thinking about it. You think they'd carry parts to fix a filter with them? Why would he have to go back to the office or whatever? Yeah. And he tells Tina to find the pool skimmer. Guy in his shirt sleeves carrying a pool skimmer just looks like a pool man. It's an instant disguise. I love uh, it's 
it has this sort of almost reverence for it. He's like, oh, that, mm, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. you have to remember that one. Uh, yeah, so the two of them uh, poke around this house. Uh, so she goes into like this, like a study or office or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim calls the pool service and impersonates the uh, the the law firm to find out when the last time they had someone out there to clean the pool. And sure enough, it was like last Friday or something. So that guy was an imposter, a phony, as he says. Uh, Tina has him check out a room that had been freshly painted. It's empty. It's freshly painted. It's all blue. And has new curtains. And she says, why would you, you know, redecorate this room if you're gonna, then going to go commit suicide? This scene in this room, I, I just want to point out the very modern uh, color framing going on. It's really striking. I actually, I posted a, I, this will have been a while ago by the time this comes out, but uh, I posted a, 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 just a snapshot on Instagram because it was, it struck me so, so much. So maybe you got the same thing where... Where he's leaning against the blue yes. wall and she's leaning against like a brown door, but she's wearing a blue jacket and blue jeans. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. And they, they set it up and they just sit there and have this conversation there. Yeah. I feel like in the moment, the, the director and the cameraman or whatever, the people yeah. that were there were like, we got to set this up. Not like they manufactured the whole set to do this, but it just works. Yeah. Yeah, because it makes sense, as we'll learn, why it's painted blue. Yeah. There's a reason. So, you know, the set needed a room that was painted blue, and then they get in there, and it's like, he's wearing brown on brown. Yeah. She's wearing blue on blue. There's a brown door, the blue wall. They do opposite. They look at each other. They look away from each other. They look at each other. It's Yeah. It's just a really striking, yeah, very modern in the sense of like, I mean, I don't know if it's like really contemporary, but very like, I, I don't like, know. It would be uh, oversaturated now. Yeah. And it would, but it's, it's the, the color contrast du jour. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> or, and has been for the past 20 years or whatever, mm-hmm. but like. No, it's a very, it's a very every frame of painting uh, yeah. scene. But what they're talking about um, mm-hmm. is that uh, the pool man was a phony. Um, maybe he was looking for the safety deposit box keys that Jim still has. She's like, how did you get those? Oh, I, I choose not to reveal that information. <laughs> they have a bunch of questions, but no answers. Um Tina has a line of, uh, you know, we don't need to poke around. We don't owe these people anything. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. So they leave. And then we have the music hit as our pool guy roars into action from a hidden Porsche that he was staking out the place in. Uh, and he follows them as they uh, they take off. So in the Firebird, they're kind of explaining things away to themselves, right? Like, sure, it's weird that someone would just kind of walk around with a pool skimmer. But like, yeah. Maybe there's some innocent explanation. Maybe it has nothing to do with anything. Uh, there's all these reasons she could have committed suicide. She was, you know, the note. She had been in and out of institutions, all that stuff. We then see the, the, the Porsche overtake them and swerve around them and then go in front of them and then pull off the road. And he gets out of it and he has a rifle. Right. My, my notes are like... Pool man flying past Jim on the road. I thought that was like, oh, oh, I guess Jim didn't. I was expecting Jim to recognize him. I expecting it to turn to a chase. It didn't. Right, right. You know, and then I'm like, is he setting up an ambush? <laughs> right. Because I had this thing about Jim earlier. I'm like, am I just hungry for an ambush? <laughs> and then he pulls out the rifle. I'm like, it's an ambush. Yeah. <laughs> like all caps. So, yeah, he he gets into some trees and uh, we go back into the Firebird. 
Jim asks where she wants to go. Uh, she says, oh, just take me home. Maybe you can, you know, come in and help me eat that stew. Yeah. And and Jim has this, hmm. Yeah, this is, this is a happy ending to this whole bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've been seeing their chemistry develop a little bit and now that they're not at total odds. Yeah. But then uh, our pool man, who is now a sniper, takes out the Firebird's tires <laughs> and they go careening across the highway. And uh, we get the very exciting... Jim trying to control the out-of-control Firebird, and then it pulls short, just dangling its front end over the cliff at the side of the highway. The literal cliffhanger from yes. our uh, from our preview montage. They they get out of the car, they slide down the embankment, and uh, so much for the suicide theory. Yeah. And then this scene ends with, you know, basically Jim keeps telling her to do things, and she just keeps doing what she wants to do without... Yeah. <laughs> He's like, stay down here, and she starts climbing up the slope, right? Like, it's a, it's a really good little encapsulation of where he thinks they're at and where she's like, I don't need to do what you tell me. Like, yeah, yeah. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> she is an independent cro- contractor in her own right. Uh, we cut from there to Deal. Uh, he is by a car that's in a junkyard, and behind him we can see the body of Bryce in the trunk yeah. of a car. <laughs> <laughs> this was a turn that I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. I just didn't expect to see Bryce ever again, honestly. At first, I thought it was the Porsche. Like, I thought that they'd abandoned yeah. the car or something. But then it zooms out, and, and we're in that junkyard. It's a different car. Um, Deal realizes who that is in relation to his case. Uh, and then he gets on the, the the phone through his through his squad car, talking to the sergeant that was mentioned earlier about the cops who were following Jim, etc., and all that. Um his guys did see Jim at the house where Bryce was that morning. We're putting out a warrant on Jim, Jim Rockford, suspicion of murder. And I love that this is in the, in the, in the text. Okay, if we can put Rockford with Bryce this morning, I want a warrant put out on him. Suspicion of murder. We better get a time of death from the M.E. We need a matchup on the time. We need motive. It's a little thin. Suspicion is just what it says. Suspicion, Sergeant. Pick him up. <laughs> so he is taking whatever he can, uh, Chapman-esque, I would say, to uh, put out a warrant for for Jim's arrest. Uh, back to Jim and Tina. Uh, they're finishing uh, changing his tire. He has this enormous jack, but maybe that's just a modern sensibility. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe they just were, were that big at that time. Uh, it is Sunday, so they can't get into the safe deposit box until tomorrow. But uh, Jim wants Tina to impersonate Alice, uh, the deceased. Mm-hmm. She she brings up that the safe deposit box attendant might recognize her. And it's like, oh, well, that's why we go in at the lunch break when there's the substitute during her lunch hour. Yeah. All right. Good work, Jim. They need to go back to get something with her signature on it. But no, no. Tina had uh, stolen all of her stolen, had taken all of her canceled checks from her desk um, in case there was something interesting in, in them. So she has plenty of examples of her signature. And so Jim then parrots back the, oh, we don't need these people. We don't need to get involved line. Yeah. <laughs> and then laughs as he gets in the car and is like, you're a bigger sucker than I am. <laughs> Which I think is some self-awareness on his part. Yeah. It's all really good shop talk. I, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. really dug how they were kind of going back and forth about what needed to be done and how and whatnot. Yeah. And, and his line is is more... Uh, is more self-deprecating than insult of himself than insulting her, right? In the way yeah. that he delivers it. It's yeah. like, I'm already a sucker, we, as we all know. Mm-hmm. At Tina's house, they're looking through the checks. Tina's practicing the signature. Um, 
What if she did commit suicide and the gunman was after something else? Jim thinks the murder makes more sense just because there's still so much to explain. Um, plus, there's someone who is obviously willing to commit murder involved. Uh, we have a nice scene here where uh, a couple of uniformed cops are coming to the door. They're asking for Jim. They know that he was associating with Tina recently. Um, so we have a nice little back and forth where we see him overhearing this and kind of getting his coat and getting ready to do whatever he needs to do while she very politely like she doesn't even have to con them she just has to lie with a straight face and they accept it yeah yeah she's really kind of smooth about it is he here or do you know where he is no i don't but you're welcome to come in and have a look you understand we don't have a search warrant well that's all right if you want to have a look you have my permission well that won't be necessary and i think you get the sense that she's like jim will do whatever he needs to do Mm-hmm. he's listening he knows what's happening if i invite them in he'll get out of here yeah and turns out that's not necessary so it kind of all works out and he compliments her he's like that was a nice bit of work um part of that is they they say they have a warrant for his arrest and they mentioned that bryce was killed so jim has that information now and he has a theory to fit everything together maybe the safety deposit box has something in it worth killing for bryce was inventorying Maybe their their pool guy, their gunman, was trying to find it, was interrupted by Bryce, and so he made up this story about being a pool attendant so as not to be suspicious. Um, since Bryce was actually inventorying, he's going through stuff. So he finds these keys. Uh, the guy was either already there and interrupted or comes in and, and Bryce is already there, thinks that Bryce has found the keys, uh, pretends to be the pool guy so that he is not suspicious. Then Jim comes in, snookers the keys out of Bryce. The gunman doesn't know that, so he follows Bryce after Bryce leaves. They have an altercation, ends up killing Bryce, but finds out that Jim has the keys. Because as we remember from their interaction, Bryce gave him the keys that he'd found, right? Uh, So now they got to ditch the Firebird since there's a warrant out for Jim. Uh, They should get a rental in Tina's name, obviously. (laughs) And then, oh, this is, I don't know why this is so funny. Um... You know, and then we check into a hotel and then we wait until noon. And at first I was like, okay. And then I remembered they have to wait until noon because that's the lunch hour for the regular person for the safe deposit box. But the way he delivers it, right, is like. And then we'll check into a motel. We'll wait until 12 noon. Are you trying to corrupt me? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe I am. (laughs) (laughs) And we just cut to the next day at noon at the bank. Yep. (laughs) Something definitely <laughs> happened. <laughs> just, just the lightest, the lightest soupçon of uh, of inc- implication about how they spent the time uh, until noon. Uh, I want to go back to my uh, where it is in the season uh, because this is informing the whole season two, Jim and Beth, their whole deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is after the deep blue sleep, right? Where, where, you know, Beth needs Jim's help specifically because they have a personal yes. relationship that she can draw on to get his help. And it's quite a few episodes before a portrait of Elizabeth. Yeah. This puts the whole portrait of Elizabeth thing in that whole what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because in between those, there's also Resurrection of Black and White, where they don't really have sexual tension. But with the, the, the journalist, Susan. Oh, um, right. Yeah. There's two into five fifty six won't go, which is the his old colonel's daughter that brings him in to yeah um, investigate. I forget if they they might have a moment. I don't I don't remember. Um, and the girl in the Bay City Boys Club, I think they 
there's some chemistry with the woman that he ends up yeah. dealing with there. So yeah, there's a little bit. There's there are multiple episodes where Jim is like in some context of having some kind of chemistry with various various co-stars. What's going on here in the greater context of that story is is really kind of interesting because it, it's it's Jim having his cake and eating it too until we get to a portrait of Elizabeth and where he has to like there, there definitely has to be a thing like he doesn't like John Saxon <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but he doesn't have a leg to stand on at right, all right right yeah uh, that all said next day at noon they go to the bank uh, they you know wait for the lunch hour shift to to, to happen. Uh, run, run the, the con with the fake signature. It all goes fine. But we see a guy noticing them from another desk. Suspicious banker. A suspicious <laughs> banker. And once they are let in to get the safety deposit box, he makes a call to Friedler, Pike, and Morris. Mm-hmm. And talks to Mr. Fiedler, who is Bruce Kirby in a mustache. <laughs> uh, Bruce Kirby is a, 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 a frequent Columbo appearer in various <laughs> roles. In, including uh one of uh, he's he's a sergeant in multiple episodes. Uh nice. Um we saw him in uh the episode where where Jim gets those gets the paintings. Oh yes, yes. Anyway, I I saw him in the credits. I was like, "Yes, Bruce Kirby." And then he he's in this one scene and I was like, "Oh." Is it Paper Palace or the Big Ripoff? So the Big Ripoff is the one with the paintings. Paper Palace, he was the the John that 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 was hiding in the closet. Oh, yes, yes. The one who was like really, really mean to Rita and then turned out he had been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was the, the neighbor. Yeah, the neighbor. Yeah, yeah. He's great. I love Bruce Kirby. I just, I don't know. I just think he's he's so much yeah, he's, fun. He's fun. Uh, but yeah, in this, he has a mustache and like, and like violet glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Both Bruce Kirby and George Weiner being in this episode is, yeah, it's a collection of fun people. Yeah. I, I wish there was more Bruce Kirby. That's all I have to say. Uh, the, our, our pool guy slash gunman, Pete, is there. Things are getting out of control. Um, Fiedler is, is, you know, is worried, is agitated about this. So whatever's going on, his law firm is engaged in shady dealing. Mm. This guy, uh, he says that this guy, Pete, didn't need to kill her or Bryce. So that's establishing that he did kill the woman in the first place. Not a suicide. Pete says, it's a rough business. You don't like the risk, you don't get involved. <laughs> And uh, uh, Mr. Feeler tells him to take care of it. So, so yeah, you get this feeling that Friedler is is in over his head, right? Right. Uh, with a, he's got a goon, but that goon is far more violent than he. His, his psychotic. Yeah. <laughs> so in the safety deposit box, the big reveal. Uh, there's a bunch of letters, I guess, um, or some kind of journal or something like that, and records, including a birth certificate. Uh, she she had a baby, mm-hmm. but then she gave the baby up to a Pete Finch. Uh, but then she wanted the baby back and threatened to expose, quote, the whole baby racket if she didn't get what she wanted. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's some sort of uh, illegal moving of babies, illegal adoptions of babies, I'm guessing. There's a line where they say the sister was probably in on it. Why would she do that? Well, as you said, uh, she probably didn't want to want an heir. Right. Daddy left us a whole lot of money or whatever, right? Like, so that would be her motivation. And uh, yeah, so I guess this guy, Pete, must have been the one who killed her to keep her from exposing this baby racket. 
whatever it is. And then the evidence is in this box and we kind of know the rest from what they've already explored. Uh, put the, the contents in Jim's briefcase and they head back out to the rental car <laughs> and they have a little low five. Yes. I, I made a note of that too. I mean, that's where my note was like right here in the middle of that Jim and Beth, their whole deal season. <laughs> <laughs> well, at first I thought it was a little like, like hand squeeze. Yeah. I rewound and watched again. And it's just, it's a straight up like low five. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, she puts out her hand and Jim gives her a five and then they separate to walk around the thing. It's like, yeah, we did it. It's that had to have just been a thing they did. It was so good. It was, it was great. There, there are a couple moments in this episode. It's not the driving thing or anything like that, but there are just, this is one of them. These couple of moments in this episode where from their perspective, their jobs are done and right. they can just hang out. Right, right, right. They could just be Jim and Tina on a date. And this right. is one of them. Like, we did it. We could just <laughs> go. We just be Jim and Tina on a date now. But nope. Where should we go? Well, we, we shouldn't go to your house because the, the cops yeah. probably have it staked out. And that's when uh, Pete Finch in his in his Porsche pulls up and roars up next to them and then just takes a shot with a revolver from the driver's <laughs> seat. Just terrifying. Jim slams on the brakes. Are you going to my house? There are cops there. I know. That's the whole idea. <laughs> And then we get a good, uh, a good car chase slash, uh, denouement. <laughs> yeah. With, with Jim racing to get to the cops before Pete can do anything dire. Yeah. This is a, uh, firebirdless chase, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, not, we see them from time to time. It's not a, a rarity here necessarily, but it is. You know, worth noting. Uh, lots of sort of obstacle coursey things that Jim puts mm-hmm. in their way. The read I got of the, you know, of, of, of the logic of the chase was that Jim knows he can't outrun this guy. Yeah. So he just has to stay ahead of him long enough to, you know, to get to where the, the cops can basically pick them both up. And, and I think you nailed it. Like the nice tension here is not, can I get away from this guy? It's, can we, can we get to this spot before he does something dire? Like you said. Mm-hmm. There's this there's this moment where it brings on this Blues Brothers vibe because they just <laughs> yeah. keep picking up cop after cop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that ridiculous, but like they start collecting cars in the chase. Yeah, they go past Tina's house and and Jim honks. Yeah, <laughs> the 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 plainclothes cops follow them, and then a squad car joins them, mm-hmm. and then it all finishes up with another squad car finally cutting Jim off. And so he has to stop and then they're surrounded by cops. And so, you know, all three of them get taken out of their, their cars and, and they're all arrested. Jim makes a point to say, uh, hey, bring my briefcase, will you? Yeah. Which they do, which is nice of them. They put the three of them into the back of a squad car. Jim's in the middle. <laughs> and he turns, he's like, ah. Yeah, you must be Pete Finch. Yeah, well, I'm not talking to anyone until I see my lawyer. Hey, Pete, you're a lousy shot. <laughs> and we just have a freeze frame on Jim and Tina just yeah laughing at him and his discomfort. And it's like you know what that would be a fine place to end the yeah, episode. Yeah, good good ending moment. Yeah, but this was a one of those false finishes. A freeze frame into another scene. Deal is on the phone. He's getting Finch booked. You know they want to bring in the lawyer guy, uh, Bruce Kirby, and a mustache. Um, time to call the DA. This could be a biggie. Jim's listens to him rattle off all the stuff and then says, hey, uh, you forgot two counts of attempted murder. <laughs> I mean, he did try to kill Miss Duso and myself. No kidding. Mm, sorry, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the most, like, satisfied, like, 
Yeah. <laughs> he has enough to get this guy. He doesn't need more. So yeah. why satisfy Jim? Uh, Dio wants to know why they didn't go to the cops when they first got the keys, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he plays sloppy ball. Yeah. But Jim's like, look, you know, I turned your suicide into a high profile murder case. Uh, you know, this is going to look great for you. Yeah. So, you know, cut me some slack. Uh, Deal doesn't doesn't know what Becker sees in it, but uh, they just have to sign their statement and then they can go. I do want to state that Jim has a good theory for why Becker likes him, which is I think he likes me because he can beat me at handball. <laughs> <laughs> um, outside, uh, Jim uh, kind of busts Tina for keeping quiet and letting him do do all the talking, but she says that uh, he said everything that Deal wanted to hear, so it's not like she had anything to contribute. She's in a good mood. They, they stuck in the case because their instincts told them they were right. And they caught a murderer, exposed a million-dollar baby plot, <laughs> and may have gotten a little boy his inheritance. And that's when they see a, uh, a, a, a cop giving the rental car a ticket for being illegally parked. <laughs> <laughs> Jim's like, oh, it's in your name. So she tries to explain to this, uh, this, this woman that uh, she shouldn't get a ticket. The, co- the cops are the ones who parked the car, which, right. so at the time I was like, oh, she's running a line. And then I'm like, you know what? This is probably actually what happened. I did the same thing. Yeah. I was like, this is this, like, I thought she was trying to talk her way out of a ticket. And then I was right. like, no, this is a legit complaint. This is what they did. Like they got arrested and they yeah. probably drove her car and then just left it there. And the one's just like, sorry, sorry. Yeah. You no, know, she's just doing her job. And we have what might be one of my absolute favorite all time ending bits of a Rockford Files episode. You know, I try. I really try, Jim. But damn it, I hate cops. And we freeze frame on Jim kissing her. <laughs> yes. Jim leans over, plants her one right on the mouth, and we freeze frame. End of episode. A-cab all day. Good work, <laughs> Tina. <laughs> so Tina is played by uh, Stephanie Powers. Like, if you're, if you're like, oh, I think this whole romantic uh, P.I. duo thing is exactly the thing I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays um, Jennifer Hart uh, against Robert Wagner's Jonathan Hart in Heart to Heart, where they're legit. That are where there are. Uh, I think private investigators. I, I really don't know much about this show. I just know that it, they are a married couple that are private investigators. What jumped out to me from her credits was a, a TV movie, which was a pilot for a show uh, called The Feather and Father Gang. Where huh. she plays Tony Feather Danton. And the premise of this show is that she's a lawyer and her dad's a con man and they solve crimes. They see? Like, yeah. And her dad is played by Harold Gould, who we've seen in the Rockford Files, but was also in The Sting and is like one of those yeah. very distinguished early 20th century kind of looking fancy con men. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's Harold Gould and Stephanie Powers as a father, daughter, con man, lawyer, crime fighting duo. Well, <laughs> crime solving duo. Yeah. And the synopsis here says that uh, uh, her nickname is Feather. So Feather and Harry, the father, often sought to sting the bad guys into giving themselves up. On these <laughs> occasions, they turn to Harry's old partners for help, sometimes using disguises and elaborate play acting. I think we should watch the show. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is in my wheelhouse. It's only a single season too, which mm-hmm. is uh wow. Yeah. Fourteen episodes. There is no way this is available for streaming anywhere. <laughs>
So we have a lot of good suggestions for f- further viewing out of this episode. But yeah. uh, other than that, um, yeah, uh, uh, fun, fun episode. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a mystery um, that didn't leave me baffled. Right. So the out of the blue thing is the baby racket, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny because you would expect that to be the main draw of the episode. But it's, right. it is Jim being pulled in and then just keep stumbling into bigger and bigger cases as he goes along. That, that That's how we, we move into the, the this weird criminal conspiracy that's the motivation behind the murder that <laughs> Jim falls into uh, because of a completely different crime going on that has this insurance fraud. Well, I don't know if it's fraud, but this insurance scam crime. Anyways, uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but they're they're very clear, and you kind of you know where you are, uh, even if you're lost in the mystery until they sort of talk it through. Uh, he has a, Jim has a great line when they're talking it through, where he's like, "Let's just put this together with a structure that fits." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that, <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's a great moment. Um, but uh, yeah, lots of good cons, a few uh, chases in there, uh, lots of action. It's just a well-rounded. Rockford yeah, Files yeah. episode. What I was kind of getting to, I think, in in our intro about it being kind of like three different directions to get into yeah. the story, right? Like, so there's the one we watched. There's the from the side of the like baby racket. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is that? You know, how did that get us to um to where we are uh in this story? Or the side of the 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 jewelry theft and ransom, mm-hmm. right? Like you could have a Rockford Files episode where either of those other two are the premise and then we get into the rest of it. Uh, And then in this case, we, you know, came in from this direction, uh, which is which is cool. Yeah, I don't know. I feel feel like we hit all the the high points as we went through it. Um, Yeah, it's good. I'd even say it's a good episode for uh, somebody who's never played or never uh, seen the Rockford Files before. Mm Yeah, it it does have. I mean, it's very kind of like stripped down in a way because we get a little bit of Dennis, yeah, and we get Deal as you know, kind of the antagonist. But uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of the other characters. Um, so I guess kind of like some of the the Rockfordishness, and I think this is kind of also like some Cannellness. Yeah, is that kind of like the, the baby racket? Like, yeah, yeah. Here's a thing that just never would have been on my radar. Never would have expected. Like, and it could have been anything. It could have been yeah, pretty much any other racket. Uh, of some kind, but uh, specifically in this case, it it is particularly good because it leads to the conceit of having the repainted room, mm-hmm. which is blue. They mentioned it's a baby boy, so like yeah. the room was painted blue. Then we get that wonderful visual scene just growing out of the fact that that's why they had to have a blue painted room. There's a loose bit. I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to word this because it's not a bad thing and I don't want it to make it sound like it's a bad thing. But that filter, right? The guy comes out mumbling about the filter in oh, order right. to create cover for himself being there. Right, right, right. Uh, I was like, this is a weird thing for a person to be doing and not to be more of a character. It turns out he is more of a character, but he's playing a character. He's trying to throw Rockford off the trail, but in doing so, causes Rockford to investigate the filter. Right, right. Yeah. Finds hair in the filter, which causes Rockford to jump to the wrong conclusion, mm-hmm. but makes him curious enough to keep investigating this murder because she's not murdered in the pool. Mm-hmm. He thought she was because you know he found all 
uh, hair, but it's just, I guess, just natural hair collection mm-hmm. in a pool filter. Right. Um, it's, it's a fatal flaw. Yeah, kind it's of just thing. This, this, he kind of stumbles into it through this angle here, but it's it's fine that he does. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. It's like, it, it kind of balances the, here's all the mechanical tr- contrivances to make the narrative work. Yeah. Kind of with like, here's some coincidence and here's some stuff that naturally grows out of the logic of these characters and how they interact. Like, that stuff all is balanced. And yeah, the one moment where it's like, oh, that's awfully convenient is the one where it's like, Jim follows the cops and they go to Tina's house. But then it's like, oh, but, but, but that is, but there's a huge, there's a big, uh, logical reason, like all the steps to how that all came together and make total sense. Yeah. So it's not, oh, that's narratively convenient just out of nowhere to make the plot work together. It's convenient that the narrative is shaped such that that is the natural outcome at this point. Um, yeah. that then gets us going into the rest of it. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, I will go ahead and <laughs> just throw out the, the incredibly sad, notion of the baby racket plot yeah this woman who is having who is who is as we have been told multiple multiple times was mentally unstable which is a weird i mean there is this whole trope of like how can you take care of a yeah can you take care of a baby if you're crazy but that's not the focus here her story is incredibly sad she has a baby she gives it up somehow it's for this racket and then she wants it back Mm -hmm. and then she gets killed yeah that is so sad. I I just wanted to note that that occurred to me as yeah. we, as we got into the last the last bit of the episode. It's it's almost a footnote, uh, even though it is the sort of driving impetus of the whole thing. But it's yeah. almost a footnote to this fairly comedic romp. Yeah, it's fairly light in tone overall. So yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean that doesn't undercut anything. It's just like yeah. that's a hell of a place to go, Stephen. <laughs> Hell of a pull. Um, I tried to do a little look and see if this was like a rip from the headlines kind of thing. There are stories of kind of usually immigration based. Right. Like adoption schemes. People are kind of like paying to have their children right. brought into the U.S. and stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure if there was a particular one that this was pulling from. I didn't find anything specifically from this time. I also didn't look that hard. Uh, but it seems like the kind of thing that might have been like a news article right. in something that set you know the gear spinning for the story. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, about everything I got. Yeah, it was a f- fun episode. Not sure about the title, The Real Easy Red Dog. I'm not sure how much was easy. <laughs> well, I guess it's referring to the red dog is the maneuver. Mm-hmm. And Tina very easily got Jim to do red dogged Jim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess that's what that means. And it all kind of falls out from there. I would agree with that. I'm with it now. Now I'm back on board. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you have anything else to say about uh, The Real Easy Red Dog? We've solved all of our crimes. And now we can let uh, Jim and Tina have their peaceful date, right? Uh, which I assume that's what they're they're going to do next. <laughs> Until the next thing that <laughs> happens. So now we are at the end of our yep. season two journey. We're going to do a kind of a retrospective episode uh, in kind of a fun format. So we will be talking more about season two writ large um, in an upcoming episode. But uh, yeah, until then, we'll continue. Everyone, uh, we hope you continue to put your sandwich platters together as you're getting ready to watch the big the big game. <laughs> um, and we will be back uh, next time 
uh, we're, we're not 100% sure exactly how the timing is going to work out. So yeah. it, it might not be our next episode. So we may be back next time with a particular episode of The Rockford Files. Or we may be back next time with our retrospective on Season 2. But either way, we will be back next time to talk even more about The Rockford Files. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>